Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, what's up? You good? Yeah, I'm good, man. Yeah? Yeah. So, um, she was kind of giving you the eye back there, huh? You ever think about giving it back a little bit, or? I mean, what do you mean? I don't know, like next time, just like, um, I don't know, say to her, hey, why don't I bring you out back and teach you how to use the hose or something like that, you know? I mean, it's on TV. My, my wife wouldn't be into that. Well, you never know. You got to try it, right? She might like it. I'll think about it, okay? All right. Yeah. I'm going to do more than think about it, all right? Uh, all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. And if I had a TV show, I'd call it Chentertainment. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. And with two children, I've got to admit I've found things more upsetting than some cooked chicken in the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Wow. Curious to find out what that is. On today's episode of Decoding TV, uh, we are going to be discussing episode six of The Curse, The Fire Burns On. What do we think of these titles so far of these episodes? I think they're I think they're appropriately enigmatic. What do you think, Patrick Lepic? Are they forwarded to the, the viewer in any way other than if you're in the app and like that's most episode titles these days, right? Like how yeah, often not, they do don't you... appear on screen in the show itself. Correct? It's pretty that's rare. It's... Like usually when yeah. a show does it, I feel like it's an exception where it's like, ooh, right, yeah, the yeah, show yeah. thinks the episode titles are important. Um, yeah. But yes, like sometimes they're well, like sometimes they're just remarkably descriptive under the big tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like the, fi- Quest the fire burns on. Uh, like, know, the fire burns on is like a reference to the reality show that Dougie made. But also, this episode takes place largely in a fire station. So um, nailed it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that it's a it's a solid episode titles. Anyway, okay. Uh, you can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Support this podcast. Help it to keep going by becoming a paid member at decodingtv.com where you can get access to ad-free episodes as well as early access to episodes. Um, now, on today's episode, as I said, the curse episode six, the fire burdens on. We are recording this episode of the podcast quite early. So unfortunately, um, don't have any uh, of your responses from the last episode because we haven't published it yet. Uh, but we'll get to your feedback on next episode and do send those uh, messages in to decodingtv at gmail.com or at decodingtv.com. Uh, basically, Patrick and I wanted to knock this one out real quick because I, I watched the episode and it, it ended. And I, <laughs> and, and I was thinking to myself, that's it? The episode basically felt like four scenes. You know, it was really, really brief. So uh, this one might be a shorter podcast episode than usual. Yeah, 38 uh, but, minutes, I think, which like yeah. most of the episodes... I mean, th- this show is actually pretty restrained for yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. this era of television you know or we just start leaking to an hour and five an hour and ten it's, it's like roughly you know 50 ish minutes for for an episode but this one yeah like it, stu- it stuck out to me when i was scrolling through the it's like i was budgeting my time like 38 minutes huh uh i wonder if they're doing kind of a stunt episode or mm. like something that'll explain and i don't think that's the case i think that there's right. the story they have to tell is just a little bit shorter for for this one Patrick Klepek allocates his time uh, 
weeks in advance. He's like, I'm going to have a 36-minute chunk to watch the first half of The Curse on this date. I got to be honest, David, you are like not that far (laughs) off. I... When I sit down at my desk, I sit and I think through each hour of the day. And I go, what am I supposed to accomplish here? How do I, well, like balancing between like remap, crossplay, doing things. Like I, I, I try to, I really try to segment my days. Like the day of is like, what can I accomplish on these hours? Is any of that all going to happen? Okay. Shuffle it off. Like that doesn't make sense, but you're not, it's not that distilled, but it's just a couple steps away from it. <laughs> yeah, it's that's pretty impressive, Patrick Like I have to say, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I, I wish I, I had that level of discipline. Uh, but <laughs> I'm still working my way up to it. You, you, did, you uh, paid hours of poker. I don't think you're allowed like, like to tell me that you don't have discipline. Because uh, mm. I don't think I could do that. So mm, we, all, we all have our different things that we have <laughs> high yeah. tolerances for. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, make, I, I do make a, on occasion... A handful of podcasts as well. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's start with overall thoughts on The Curse Episode 6, The Fire Burns On. Patrick Lepic, what do you think of Episode 6 of The Curse? Oh, man. Uh, what was I wonder was to scroll back to the ep- second episode title, which I believe is called um, Pressure's Looking Good So Far, which really feels like that actually s- summarizes a bit of the um, uh, the energy of this episode, which... I mean, I feel like we take some really big turns in this one in terms of characters making choices that are going to have really grand consequences down the road. Um, it, it feels as though we are getting peaks into like where, you know, we've talked a lot about in this uh, show, like we know there's a lot of landmines, like we haven't walked on all of them yet. But, yeah. Like when's this going to start happening? And I feel like now we are starting to see characters take shape. We are starting to see characters not quite achieve like a final form, but in terms of like, what is the arc that's then going to set them up for all these dominoes falling? And I yeah. think this episode, we get some really big choices made by Whitney um, yeah. uh, that there, there's not going to be coming back from, yeah. from yeah. a lot it, of these. We, it is going to set them on a path that they cannot deviate from at this point. Right, yeah. and we haven't had like the big, like the real consequences of that yet, but they're there. Like you can just see like multiple moments in this episode in which, wow, like, okay, uh, this this is going to be really important and really consequential and very stressful in the episodes ahead. I, I think these last two episodes back to back have been like pretty spectacular. I think they've been very strong, very interesting. Emma Stone continues to do just absolutely amazing work with this character. Like all the turns that she's taking, all the choices that she's making as an actor, I just find absolutely fascinating. And Whitney is being just slowly becoming in a world of reprehensible character. Maybe not reprehensible is like, maybe she's becoming a world of interesting uh, characters on a large sliding scale. Like she's quickly moved into likely to be reprehensible territory um kind of out on her own and i am fascinated to see what happens as a result i i really enjoyed this one i my stress levels it's like the cringe levels aren't that high in this episode but my stress levels are beginning to peak in a way that i i don't think the show is going to be interested in removing them anytime soon i think it's just going to keep ratcheting up uh, and, the, and the last thing I'd say, we'll get into it, but I think the most upsetting moment in this show happened in this episode. And 
it wasn't cringy. It was just like incredibly traumatic. And we'll get to the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a scene with a chiropractor yeah, that yeah. I I have not stopped thinking about wow, since yeah. I watched it. <laughs> Uh, I, I like this episode as well, and I will will agree with you that it's low on cringe, and I would say it's very high on horror style filmmaking. You know, like a, a lot of the characters have subplots that really are shot and have music that feel like they're from a horror mm, film, mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of what uh, the big vibe I get from this episode is. And it's it's as usual very well done, uh, but definitely a, a, a somewhat hard turn for a show that. Uh, previously was more about painful social awkwardness than you know potential supernatural things happening or people getting in terrible situations with chiropractors or whatever you know like uh it it, it is a little bit different and i'm cool with that you know like shows can have different tones throughout the course of their run um but i am very curious uh, where this is all going and <laughs> it feels like it can't i would be it feels like we've crossed a threshold tonally with the show as mm-hmm. well i would be this show opens itself to be a lot of different tones and mm-hmm. was definitely jumping between those uh within its own spectrum earlier but like once we like entered this realm it's like you know the, that opening episode I, you know the, the cherry tomato boys like it's hard for me to imagine a lot more of that mm-hmm. where the show seems to be headed doesn't mean it won't be awkward but it seems like that awkwardness is going to start feeling like more and more like horrifically upsetting as mm-hmm. opposed to like squirming in your seat because someone's doing something socially like, Ooh, like we shouldn't act that way in this situation. It feels like, I think the stakes of the awkwardness are about to be like drastically increased mm. in a way that I'm not sure how much we'll be laughing about it. It has the or same we're laughing to just get through the moment. <laughs> it has a similar emotional arc to Requiem for a dream. You know, you start off with, everything's everything's fun and hilarious you're on the drugs and then the dark the darkness comes you know yeah, and the hangover is about to happen it's in far show. more extreme and terrifying than we could have possibly predicted anyway those are some overall thoughts on uh the curse episode six the fire burns on quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's get into a detailed spoiler-filled recap on the episode. 
The episode begins with Asher and Whitney formally welcoming the couple we saw in the last episode into the Espanola community. The couple is handed several objects made by local native artists before being seen helping remove graffiti near a bathroom. Turns out we're watching Whitney and Dougie review an edit of an episode for the show, and she is unsatisfied. Let me, let's stop here for a moment. Patrick Klepek, would you watch this episode of Fliplanthropy if you uh, had it presented to you via commercial or a loved one? Um... Well, that's a difficult uh, question to answer because I don't think I'd watch any of these shows to, mm-hmm. to begin with. And so we've I only don't... seen like about two <laughs> minutes of this one. You know, yeah. So. But uh, to the show's credit, like most of what I have come to understand about these shows is watching over the shoulder of somebody else, like, or it's on in the background at like visiting family or, you know what I mean? Like, or it's just on in the background in, in, in some other scenario. If I, if Emma Stone. Like, was it in, like, if, if, like, actors I know weren't in it, I think they do a remarkably good job of essentially editing together a show that has the real authentic feel of what a show like this would otherwise be. I mean, you, maybe you have more of a, uh, more than a familiarity, but I think they do a good job of emulating it. I watched a show recently, uh, about tiny houses. It was on Hulu. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was just a show. Let me see if I can find the title of the episode. But it was uh, j- just a show about like people looking for small houses. You know, like this is new trend of a house that has two hundred square feet or whatever. And the whole episode was just one guy going to three tiny houses in the Seattle area and deciding if he wanted to buy one of them. And that that was the whole episode. And he had a friend, and they kind of talked a little bit. Uh, about whether he should buy it. And that, that was it. That was the whole thing. Uh, very simplistic premise. It delivered exactly what it promised to deliver. Uh, I would agree with you that this feels like very much of that disposable ilk. It's not terrible, uh, It's but it's not necessarily super compelling. And I would agree with you that it like does a good job of imitating the aesthetics of these kinds of shows. The, the one uh, thing that I thought was interesting, and it's the moment where it or it felt to me that it was breaking from that aesthetic was mm-hmm. when you get to uh, the couple explaining like painting a second layer or when they get invited to the, to the barbecue, it's the one time that it actually ends up merging a bit with the aesthetic of the show, mm. which is extremely long. Like the conversations go on from like reality shows right, have heavy right. editing. We're like, there is no slowdown or, yes. or like there's going to be music that punctuates a moment that like gets you to something else. And in, in those instances, it's it's uh, in the edit, it's suggesting what ends up setting up Ducky's point, which is like there's not much here. Like we're watching these people have a like, how's the weather conversation like yeah, at a yeah. barbecue? And I think that's when they like stopped playing it was when they got yes. to the weather and it's like, okay, this is pretty rough. Uh, by the way, I think the the show I ref- was referring to was Tiny House Hunting. That was the name of the show. Um, so, uh, And I would agree. I would agree with you that now that you mention it, it probably is a little bit more boring than a regular uh, reality show because reality shows have all this editing to keep your interest. And this show seemed to fall down a little bit about it. So. Anyway, uh, Whitney asks for Dougie's opinion, and uh, he resists providing it before revealing that the show has no tension. The tension the show needs, he argues, is between Whitney and Asher. To demonstrate, Dougie has Whitney record a shot expressing annoyance that Asher can never put down his phone. Whitney seems taken by the idea and even has a new name for the show, Green Queen. 
Patrick Klepek, so many questions. First, first of all, do you think Green Queen is a good show title? I, I actually think, you know, Dougie seems very enthused about it, but you can never trust anything Dougie is representing. But I actually think it's a good title. Like, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, uh, it's not a show I want to watch, but uh, it's it's a better title. Like, it it's a better title like, than Flip Philanthropy. Hundred percent. Well, and it's it, <laughs> and she's like, it has kind of a sinister. I may not sinister on it, but like, mm-hmm. there's you're wondering what's on. Like, yeah, what's I want to scratch on? at the surface yeah, of this. Like, what, what is green? Que- like, right, because is green, eco friendly. Like, that's supposed to be a good thing, but a queen. queen? And so what? I, like, I, I'm, I think Dougie <laughs> is being honest in I, yeah. In his reaction yeah. of like the way he sets it up is like, well, you know, I, name change is really hard. And then he's like, because I think he's assuming whatever she's got. He hasn't been very impressed with Whitney. I, I, mm-hmm. I get the impression, mm-hmm. like even though she yeah. had the better focus test, I don't know. He's never been very enthused about this show. Seems like he's doing Asher a favor. It's a job, but he's not ne- doesn't necessarily believe any of this, any of the bullshit that Whitney is is espousing. And here, I think as he's able to start kind of reeling her in a little bit to the style of show that he wants to make uh, the more kind of salacious um he ends up finding that actually whitney's got some pretty good ideas and it's a uh, i i think that moment where she says green queen and like shares that and starts indulging in her own fantasies and you know her own rea- like like more primal reactions to that focus test I mean, the actions she takes later in the episode are more directly aggressive, but I think this is where it happens, right? It's, yeah. it's in this singular moment where she makes this choice, realizes she likes it. Like, that's the point. Like, she likes the choice that she makes and how she feels that I think is, you know, we'll look back in retrospect is like everything came down to the to the fact that Whitney said, Dougie, Dougie, Dougie. <laughs> hmm hmm Say yeah, my name like fair. Beetlejuice. Oh, my God. Uh, so you're saying that's not a good test to sub- subject people to? I guess I should I shouldn't have forced you to say David Chen three times before you joined the podcast. It's just um, uh, it's just great because it just grinds the it just grinds the whole scene to a halt in a way that both the character and the audience do, like, don't like don't know what to do with. It's just it's delightful. Well, I, I, I I appreciate it because I think that. Dougie has had his ideas completely trampled over for the entire season. You know, yeah. like every anytime he has an idea, it's not it's dismissed. And uh, you know, Whitney and Asher think they have their own ideas. And you know, I, to be clear, both of them have terrible ideas. They're not <laughs> neither of them, neither party is good. Uh, but for Dougie to have been neglected all season, he's like, okay, I, I need you to. Give me a pound of flesh, metaphorically, uh-huh. uh, to, for me to help you, and that that is saying his name three times. Uh, but yes, this is this is the moment of betrayal. You know, this is the moment when she decides to betray her husband, and I assume we're going to see the consequences of that. You know, and that it will be very unpleasant for everyone involved. So, yeah. the The one thing I would the, the one thing I was kind of reflecting on was. Would I want to watch a show where there's that much tension between the hosts? And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the case. Like, typically, when there's tension between characters on a show, they are competing against each other mm-hmm. in some way. Uh, so I, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of had an open question of like, wouldn't this just be unpleasant to watch? You know, well, I don't that's know. the A plot, right? Like sort of the way Dougie is constructing or pitching the show is like, well, mm-hmm. no, no, like, you know, like the show is still like we're doing these houses, but then we need the tension there to keep them captivated. Whereas when you have shows that are built around, you know, uh, like the different housewives and stuff like that, like the reason you're watching is like, the A plot is the conflict. Um, and so maybe that's where the show arrives at, like in a full re-edit is, yeah. is actually like, yeah, they happen to be doing these houses, but you would start forwarding more and more the relationship tension. Whereas like the way it's kind of presented here, it's like, oh, this will be an arc that we go on through the season where we start. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah, let, let, me, let, me, let me restate it then. I think that tension like that is only useful if there is an arc for it. Right. right. If there is some valuable, like at the end of it, oh, we learned about house flipping and also about each other in this relationship, in this marriage, you know, <laughs> or, that, the, the, or that Whitney should get divorced. Right. Or, or, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Or something like even that would be compelling. But I'm just saying there yeah. needs to be something that's more than just like one person being unpleasant to another person. I just don't think that's like inherently enjoyable to watch in and of itself. I don't think it's inherently enjoyable to watch. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but who knows? I'm curious to see what the edit's going to be like, you know, the final edit. So anyway, meanwhile, Asher shopping for home improvement items when he run in, runs into his former casino colleague, Bill. Bill seems to pretend he can't hear Asher. And when Asher confronts Bill at the checkout line, he acts like everything is normal and nothing is wrong. But things are clearly off. What a interesting scene, I thought. <laughs> uh, again, and, like, and almost like kind of a horror movie uh-huh. setup where like you're talking to someone and they can't hear or see you or they pretend like they can't. My interpretation was Bill figured out something was wrong with what Asher did the other day um, and therefore sees Asher as an enemy persona non grata, pretended he couldn't hear Asher. But then when they got to the checkout line, he couldn't do that without it being super weird for the checkout person. Uh, and then that, then at that point, he was forced to acknowledge Asher. That's my interpretation of how that all went down. Patrick Klepek, any thoughts yeah. on that? I'm, you know, we've been asking like what happened with right. the journalist. Um, my takeaway from this scene was that Asher did hand over that footage, you know, like we've gone through, like the show doesn't have an explicit like day one, but it feels like a, a bit of time has gone on in these six episodes. I think she yeah. had given him a deadline of a couple of days. Like it was relatively quick where he was going to have to produce the footage before she'd go through with yeah the interview and make everything profoundly uncomfortable. They probably HGTV probably doesn't green light the show. So I, my takeaway from this scene is that some action occurred that prevented the local news from airing that interview. Thus, mm. uh, you know, like I've, I've reported like when you report a story, frequently what you'll do when you get to yes, yes. The, the moment where you have done your research and you are then the, one of the last things you do is go to a company and present them with questions because mm, it provides yeah. it, it gives them an opportunity to respond publicly to get ahead of your story. You want to make sure, legally speaking, like you have all your dots in a row because you can open yourself up to a lawsuit if you start asking certain questions you don't have. Anyway, my guess is this story progressed to the moment where the reporter has asked inquiries to the casino and Bill has then surmised, like, how would they have gotten any of this? Oh. Mm. Because Asher, like, uh, like, and, and my guess is to cover his own ass, like, because it is Bill's fault that it occurred. He's just pretending he doesn't 
doesn't know Asher um, like, or something to that effect. My guess, that's my guess at like where the stage of that story and why there's that breakdown between, between wow, the two. Wow, very of astute, Patrick Klepek. Uh, would also explain, uh, would explain two things. It would explain why he's trying right. to ignore him entirely. And also Plaus- why, why, the, why the story hasn't come out yet, basically. Plausible right? deniability, yeah. like you don't want to interact with the subjects that you had. And mm-hmm. then at the, at the point of, at the, at the checkout, the reason you act politely is because if, I don't know. For some reason, you could be being observed. Uh, yeah. You would just want to act normal. By um, the checkout person. The checkout person could be like, that was weird. And then remember that in interaction. Correct. Right? So. Like for some reason, the reporter like found out that he was there. Those two had a conversation. Yeah. You would follow up with the cashier. Cashier would just yeah. report that, oh, they just mm. had a normal conversation. So I, I, f- I feel like that story is progressing a little bit out of sight. But like this scene was to remind us that it's yeah. – like a ball, like a boulder was rolled down a hill. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 coming. Well, well stated, Patrick Lipic. Uh, I'm always fascinated, but there's all this. St- I have worked in corporate PR before, right? And we, pa- Patrick Lipic, we've basically worked on opposite sides of this whole <laughs> situation. I'm always fascinated. There's all this stuff that happens behind the scenes that people just never have access to. Uh, and yeah, companies will often put together stories about corporations that are uh, not flattering. And then they'll reach out to the company to get a comment. And something that's happened a lot, a lot more frequently is this. Uh, I think the process is uh, uh, called front running. Have you seen right? Is that a that a common term? Nah. Where, where to basically me. the subject will come out uh, with their own statement. Oh yes. Uh, before uh, before the story is published, so they'll they they know. Oh, the New York Times is putting together a story about me. Uh so I'm going to just publish a blog post tonight. And that way, like, I can define the... Or I'm going to publish my... This happened to me one time with... Uh, it was not a big corporation, but uh, somebody ahead of a piece that would have painted them in a slightly unflattering light, they just published the emails between the two of us, like, ahead of publishing my story mm, as a yeah. way of being like, look, like, look at this journalist coming at me, like, asking these questions and so that is that's a pretty like that's why you yeah. end up as a as a journalist giving a deadline because right that yeah. uh, it, it gives the subject or the corporate like the company whatever whatever it might be uh a very clear usually it's 24 hours 48 hours at most and you only renegotiate if like they promise explicitly like hey we actually really do want to give you a statement that illustrates something to what you're asking about could we get extra time sometimes you'll grant that sometimes you won't but you give them the deadline so that once you hit past that, you've given them like what feels like a reasonable amount of time to respond and you can hit publish and get ahead of what they're probably doing, which is like crafting a a public response um, or or potentially, like you said, getting kind of getting ahead of it and kind of uh, forwarding uh, before the yeah. actual story gets out there. I, I don't think front there's some term. I don't think it's front running. It's something like that. But it's basically yeah. Yeah. same and idea, we're, though. We're seeing it very often these days yes. because people have more tools than ever to get in front of a story. The notes, uh, yeah, the notes apology. Is yeah, the notes apology the, is getting ahead of the story. It gets ahead of the story. Exactly, that literally no. happens, right? So, anyway, okay. But yeah, I I suspect everything you said is accurate, uh, Patrick Lipick. We'll see. We'll see because mm-hmm. it certainly doesn't seem like nothing has happened. <laughs> no. 
So <laughs> no, and I don't and I don't I don't buy uh Asher's comments later of of, yeah. of uh well no no I, we were texting we're getting ready to go bowling together like no you weren't no you weren't <laughs> he's just he's just off screen also smiling with <laughs> smiling and laughing with me uh okay Asher and Whitney then move to a local to shoot at a local fire station where they're set to install a system that will take some of Whitney's passive energy ideas and make them part of the station while chatting with Dougie about the shoot Dougie recommends Whitney pretend to flirt with some of the firefighters. Later, Asher complains about the interaction he had with Bill, while Whitney's annoyed Kara still hasn't signed her release form. While scrolling on her phone, a credit card charge appears uh, from the store that had the shoplifting incident that we discussed earlier. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, I, I think I called this. It wasn't like the most amazing prognostication or anything like that, but uh I, I think people are taking advantage of Whitney's generosity when it comes to the clothing store, right? I think happening. I would. I think if yeah. I worked at that store, I'd yeah. be telling my friends to come on through. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, um this is a terrible thing to admit, but it was decades ago and we're in high school and you know, high school kids do terrible things. And we got a policy changed in our high school where you would go to like you know, uh when you would like get your lunch and um if you didn't have your card to swipe, you could put in a code and that was like the backup and you had an, oh, yeah, a, yeah, every yeah. student had a code that was yeah, associated same. with yeah. them. Yeah. Um, well, one of my dirtbag friends was <laughs> behind somebody and much like oh, Asher not wanting oh, to share no. his pin, um, like noticed that pin and was like, what if I just went back and got a bunch of food? And I was like, well, they probably wouldn't let you do that. Well, uh, dear listener, um, uh, I could tell you that they did. And the, the initial arc of this was like, well, surely like, you know, the $40 that's in there will get emptied very quickly. The parents will realize that. And then the sham is over. Well, they just kept putting more money in the account. <laughs> and then like, eventually it got picked up on and the entire like school policy was changed. It was like, okay, you're not allowed to use passcodes anymore. It was like, mm. well, uh, you know, I'm just trying to. I, I wanted to make uh, it, the this school is, more this secure. This is your friend that did this, Patrick. Uh-huh. I did not do. I did. I benefited from it. I did get the Snickers ice cream sandwiches that were purchased. I'm not pretending. Oh I did my not god! Oh, benefit. so you stole another child's? I did lunch food. Basically. I did. I lunch did. Snacks. I did. But the Snickers ice cream sandwiches were, or the ice cream bars were. I mean, they're, it's deli- true. they're the, those delicious. Those are incredible. They're delicious. Those David. are incredible. The caramel and <laughs> oh, it's yeah, so I, good. It's they're fantastic. Lo- yes, yes, you're completely justified in, in what you did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, if if you were a parent and you loaded up your child's vending machine code, on it's the how website, it works with. I met kid in elementary school has the right, exact right, right. same. But system. but if they started spending like twenty to thirty bucks a day, it would probably there'd probably be some lag time before you understood what was going on, right? Yeah, like there, well, you get yeah you get an be, you get an email yeah. to refresh it. I de- email was less prominent right, back right. then, so I don't even know what sort of. Right, the notification yeah. method there there is. Maybe they had um, to log on to their freaking news group or whatever the heck. <laughs> right, Maybe it was like ICQ <laughs> to, to to message it or whatever. You know, like who knows? Yeah, whereas like these days, if my kid <laughs> burned through the fifty dollars that's supposed to get her through like three yeah. months of of lunches, and a week later I got an email that said time to refill, I'd probably wonder. Yeah, hey, what, what was you, going on? What there? are you doing at lunch? But um, back then, people were busy. It was the uh-huh. go-go eighties. People, <laughs> uh, you know, people were trading stocks and doing other things, mm-hmm. and they're too busy to monitor their children's lunch money. It's true. So, uh, you know, Patrick Klepek and his terrible dirtbag friend got to yep. chew through like 
Yeah. No, it was a whole group Hundreds of us. Hundreds of the dollars whole table was, The whole table were getting this, the, the Snickers ice cream Oh, sandwiches. my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope that person wasn't low income, Patrick. <laughs> oh, they definitely weren't. No, okay, they definitely good. weren't. Okay, it was, good. Once, that, once, it, once it became a thing, it was like, it, 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 victimless crime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, it's literally the opposite of a victimless crime, but I understand what you're uh, saying. Understand what d- you're saying. You know, it is, I do some, uh, <laughs> do some assumptions of what I might mean by that and okay, then, you know, fair, work fair backwards. Enough, <laughs> All right. So a bunch of stuff happens at the fire station in the episode, right? Um, the uh, Dougie wants there to be sexual tension between Whitney and the fire people. Uh, and then Asher discovers <laughs> there is another shot of Asher in the bathroom, which includes a lingering shot of his penis. At which point Asher dis- discovers a pile of discarded chicken. Uh, he's still on this kick of, Hey, that girl cursed me and took the chicken out of my penne. And somehow this, chicken ended up here in a, in a manner to taunt me uh, and then he becomes obsessed with it he investigates the chicken wondering if it was left behind by a firefighter he has to review the security footage uh and i thought that was like a really cool sequence where he he seems to finally be about to get an answer for who might have placed that chicken in there uh and then the power goes out because of the fact that they are using solar panels that he and whitney recommended hoisted by his own petard <laughs> once more uh and then let's just talk about like the end of the episode in asher right he uh is painting the roof of uh Abshir's house and he brings up tiny curses again he asks the girl who cursed him to guess how many nails are under a bucket and then under his hand and she keeps guessing correctly which unnerves asher he eventually puts a ton of nails into his hand at once and then asks her to guess but she declines after noticing blood is streaming down asher's hand he goes to clean himself up and the episode ends very weird abrupt ending to the episode i thought uh, but the sequence when he is asking her to identify how many nails there are was really amazingly done. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, I think he puts like the same number of nails in his hand twice in a row and she guesses correctly twice. Then he like scoops up a bunch and he's like, there's no way she's going to guess this many. And she has this horrified look on her face when she is asked to guess almost like, she cannot compute how many nails there are, <laughs> but then you realize it's because he's bleeding. And it's just mm-hmm. like an amazing moment in the episode where like, what is actually even happening? Is this girl randomly guessing or does she actually have some kind of powers? Uh, who knows? Patrick Klepek, any thoughts on Asher's obsession with this chicken and this curse and this girl in this episode? I mean, the show does a really convincing job of, making you understand increasingly why Asher is paranoid. Um, And he's sort of getting broken from two ends. Like he has his own personal paranoia about this that he can't let go. And then on set with Whitney, you have this other pressure that is just bearing down upon him. And so I think you start like with that increasing, with that ratcheting up, you kind of start to understand why he's looking for explanations elsewhere for the weirdness in his mm-hmm. life as other parts of his life, while not crumbling quite yet, are, the foundation is clearly eroding and is about is about to cause like cataclysmic consequences in his personal and probably professional life. And so even though I still don't have any, I, I don't think there's anything actually supernatural happening in the show although i leave the show 
plenty of room <laughs> to mm-hmm. prove me prove me wrong there by by the end. I don't think that's what's happening, but I think where these sequences are played kind of for laughs, like Ashford, like I get like give it up, man. Like maybe you're being prejudiced or what have you. Like we have characters vocalize that sort of reaction to the rhetoric and sort of the assumptions that he's making and the questions that he's asking. Like once you start to get here, they leave enough wiggle room that like you as the audience member can have some sort of suspension, like while these moments are happening, but are more or less brought back down to earth that Asher's reaching for something that isn't there. But I think you're increasingly understanding of how Asher is finding himself in this place mentally. Um, And things just keep stacking in a way that I, I suspect are not going in the other direction. Um, And I, I find him to be a really interesting, these characters like Asher and Whitney were interesting characters to start and they continue to get more interesting as the show like puts them along, along this journey. Um, And particularly Asher, a character that I wasn't sure where this character was, was going. Yeah. The dynamic between him and Whitney is now, he's more than just like a puppet. Like he, he, like, and and I just, I'm very curious to see where he ends up by the end of this journey. Yeah. I think you're saying he's almost become kind of a tragic figure as opposed to just, this oblivious dude who's doing Whitney's bidding. Uh, I do think you you have a good point there, which is the reason people believe in things like curses and conspiracy theories, uh, Dougie included, is it is more comforting to believe something like that than to believe that the the truth, which is that there is no explanation for any of these things, that things just happen sometimes. And uh, or people like make choices, to, right? Like yeah. Dougie, I just happen to be drunk. Right, um, right. Or in this case, like Whitney makes an active choice to do things that are going to deteriorate materially the relationship yeah. with Asher. Like we don't really know how she actually feels about him, but that's sort of besides the point when she starts taking actions that are going to create art, like create material tension. It's not even artificial tension. Like she knows what she's like. She knows this is going to make him mad and like is laughing at, like the dailies that they're looking at afterwards, like, like screening how uncomfortable he is when she, when she flirts. And so, you know, it's easier to think of that as a curse than it is, you know, your partner uh, making an active right. decision to harm you. Right. Yeah. 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 I agree with you though. We, we, we don't really have any insight into why Whitney wanted to be with Asher in the first place. Um, I, I made some, guesses in our early episodes but like i don't you know, think that's been illuminated at all hasn't yet. been disproven though i still think yeah. you like the idea that he is just easy to manipulate and right. she, he exists to make she sure has that, more power than him basically yeah in some make sure ways, that she's right? the green queen like in, yeah, in many yeah. ways like that is not necessarily an untrue way to describe their relationship mm-hmm. um because i think in, in, even in that sequence where yeah dougie and whitney are talking it's like well does that if make Asher the king? You yeah, know, what, no, and, no, it does like, not. No, and, and, no, it I, and I and I think it is it, frankly a more honest way. It may not be a an appealing way to describe the relationship, but it may be a more honest way to describe what they actually are in the dynamics between them. Yeah. I want to read a comment at decodingtv.com from Matt. Matt writes in <laughs> Now, I want to say before I read this comment, mm-hmm. okay? Matt wrote this comment on December 5th. So 
by the time you're listening to this, it'll, I think, have been over a week ago that Matt wrote this comment, okay? Matt writes, maybe a weird aside, but I'm very concerned we're going to see some serious neck trauma somewhere this season. <laughs> After they introduced the concept of Abshir's neck pain in episode three, I got incredibly stressed watching the sequence where Whitney is stuck in the sweater. I was convinced that it would somehow snap her neck or send her flying into something that would break it. Pause. Dave Chen agrees. I also was very nervous that there would be some injury that episode. Anyway, back to Matt's uh, comment. This was exacerbated by the fact that they kept resetting the scene. I was relieved that the sweater was the only casualty that episode. But the fact that they mentioned Abshir's neck again in episode four makes me think that there's something to this still. I think we'll learn that Abshir's family does have the actual power to curse, and Asher's comeuppances will be more and more related to this. The show is called The Curse, after all. Thanks for the great fun week after week. End quote. Uh, so it turns out that Matt's comments and fears were well-earned. Because in this scene, uh, the, you know, Patrick Klepek, I, I have a new fear. Uh, I have a new fear. I have a new fear. Involuntary chiropractor scenes. I uh, did not. I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen in my life uh, somebody use a chiropractor who didn't want to use a chiropractor. That mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever witnessed that in my life. Uh, no, Patrick, this scene really seemed to upset you. Tell us about your reaction to it. Well, it's shot like a like a torture scene. Um, like you yeah. know, Abshir very quickly you know protests at the actions are very uncomfortable with what might or might not occur, um, resulting at, like at the end with a, a trauma that suggests that through the pain or shock they passed out. Like I don't think Abshir is uh, dead, um, but they, they sure look like a corpse. Uh, at, at, at the end there. And it's, there are lots of scenes in the show that are uncomfortable, but you, you really hit on something in the beginning and describing kind of the tonal turn, or at least how this episode is presented as being much more in line with a horror film. And like this scene, like exemplifies what can be done with this style of acting, shooting, like, music like all of it comes together i mean i was squirming in my seat i I, like stood up i walked around like i (laughs) was so profoundly up like i i found no scene in the show to be more upsetting than than this one i really no not a single scene i mean there's different ones that are cringe like more cringy right like right like upsetting um you know i I'm someone that, you know, horror is my favorite genre. I've I've seen it all. Um, and I would put this sequence, like, up there with some of the most horrifying things I have seen depicted in cinema in, like, the, like, the last five years. It is, I don't know how it works out of the context of the show, right? Like, if you were just to show it, it might be worse if you were to show it to somebody isolated from the rest of the show. I'm not sure, but my guess is it would hold up as something utterly, profoundly uncomfortable. Because they are, they are just pushing on every nerve uh, that they can as a, as a viewer to make you just understand how upset Ebshir is to be in this moment. You feel his fear, you feel his tension and you, you feel his pain um, as the, as the doctor ends up enacting whatever it is uh, that they, they were doing uh, towards the end. Yeah. Uh, do you have any like personal opinion on chiropractors, Patrick? Patrick? 
Well, I so it's funny. Uh, I know that the popular opinion these days is that uh, I believe they would call them quacks, um, uh, or at least there is deep skepticism about yes, the actual yes. science of yeah. chiropractory. Chiropractory? Chiropractors? Um, not that they are without merit, but that they should be seen with a lot more skepticism than they are, and there is a lot of evidence that there isn't a ton of underlying science to explain uh, what they promise of people. I spent a decent amount of time at a chiropractor as a child because I suffered from profound migraines, like debilitating, Mm -hmm. unable to sort of like leave a bedroom. My parents thought I had a brain tumor sort of migraines. Um, They they came on when I was in elementary school. Uh, My grandmother had similar sorts of migraines through most of her life. Um, But like the kind of thing where suddenly like out of nowhere, despite having no more than normal headaches that a kid would have being sick or just shit that happens to your body, uh, like lights off, like, uh, like a soaking, like wet rag on me. Like, and the only thing that made me feel better was to throw up. Like just like a horrible period in my life where like there were no answers, like, like medicine didn't help. Um, and, uh, one of the things that the doctor suggested was that, you know, it's, it's possible that maybe something is like pressing on it. Like it was just like, literally my parents were throwing everything yeah, at the wall yeah. to try and provide some sort of relief. And in the nineties, chiropractors were really popular. <laughs> like, um, I, I felt like it was a much more, it's a relatively recent phenomenon that, uh, it is, is not seen as like, what, what could be wrong with something like chiropractors in the nineties, at least like we're seen as like a pretty common way of trying to deal with that. And, uh, I think what broadly happened was I grew out of it and got very Mm -hmm. fortunate that it was just something that happened when I was in like elementary and middle school and no longer is something that, that plagues me. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I spent a decent amount of time at a, I I can remember now at the chiropractor and it's a, it's a harrowing kind of experience because you're just, laying there until someone does a sudden movement that causes a jolt to your body. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, oh. it's played for obviously much greater dramatic tension in here, but the anticipation of someone making your body, like when you watch an action film and they snap someone's neck, like what if you knew that that feeling was coming and you're just supposed to be calm on a, like on a, a right. bed, like waiting for it. Like, don't you think that would suck? Like, would that be fun if you were eight? Uh, no, like all those things are, and again, all came from a loving place. My parents were right. just trying to find an answer to a, a horrible, yeah. a horrible problem. But I, I think that's part of the reason it like really got me. Like I had no traumatic experiences at the chiropractor, but I can definitely empathize with like the trauma and like the anxiety that comes from somebody doing like a quick action that makes a noise that, Usually when you hear that noise in your body, you're like, wow, something just went really wrong. I should go to the hospital. And instead, it's a doctor being like, no, no, we're cool. Yeah. Wow. We're, we're learning so much about your childhood this episode between <laughs> between your crippling migraines to mm-hmm, the uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the time you completely forgot about any of that and started stealing your classmates lunch. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we are... <laughs> We're, com- you know, we, we can say we're, we're we complicated people. Dude. Yeah, we don't know what's happening to people underneath the surface. I will. I'll just share my personal experience with chiropractors, which is I, uh, I for years I had ho- horrible, debilitating shoulder pain, 
and I saw many chiropractors. Uh, and I've, I've probably spent thousands of dollars. And I, I will say, uh, my experience matched what the science bears out, I believe, which is that there is some evidence that they improve short term, uh, pain sensation. Like ah. it, it makes it, it makes it less painful for you in the short term. Uh, there, you know, there's a episode of the Simpsons where that I can't get out of my head where Homer sees a chiropractor and the chiropractor does all the stuff where they move the neck around and the shoulders around. And Homer says, wow, I feel slightly better. <laughs> and that's, and then ever since I saw that, I'm like, that's basically been my experience with chiropractors. Uh, I, I then did uh, physical therapy. Yeah. And that was the key to like unlocking my having like a relatively pain-free life. Um, I think a lot of stuff with yeah. that is like, oh, you have to put in the actual work to yeah. train your body to act different, not just bend it not in a weird fix. direction. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, I have no hate to chiropractors. Like I've gotten, I think there has been some utility in my life personally, but um, but yes, as you indicate, Patrick, the science is unproven and it wasn't like the silver bullet for me. No, uh, in terms of like fixing my my long term issues. No, me either. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, there's uh our experience with chiropractors, and uh, that's right why in we with have yours. <laughs> we uh, what'd you say? I said right in with yours. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right in with yours. Decoding TV at gmail dot com. Uh, but yes, terrifying, horrifying scene, and hopefully Abshir is okay. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts? I mean, there was this whole subplot where Whitney is uh, flirting with the fire person, and that's the thing that's happening. Uh, she discovers that Dougie and Kara are texting each other, and who knows? That might become a thing. You 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 predicted probably accurately that uh, Kara is going to be like a, a major character this season, so uh, we'll see what happens in the remaining four episodes. <laughs> well, there's that uh, amazing but... moment uh, on the bed when they're looking at the edit and Whitney first probes about the relation or like, you know, kind of mm-hmm. this budding relationship with Kara. It's like, Ooh, like, like, is that a thing? It's like, well, the ducky says like, well, she's, she's too ugly for me. <laughs> and that, which like causes this, the face that Whitney makes to that is, it says multitudes. It was like, it's, yeah. it's such a good scrunching of the face that communicates a lot of emotions. But then like the whole awkward bit was like, well, like she's a smoker. Okay. I mean, she's gonna die. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah, just yeah. like he doesn't. He 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 said he he doesn't even say it. He's like, I just can't have someone yeah dying. Like he wants to say, I can't have someone dying on me because he's already had that happen to him. Right, right. Um, and that itself is he doesn't, like a, he doesn't actually complete the sentence. It's no, very yeah. no. But I, I expect she's gonna. I expect she's gonna stick around. Um, and I've. I wonder if that in the scene with the text messages where Whitney lingers on that like racist uh well it was like a mini golf or something like that um uh i wonder if that's gonna mean anything um uh going going forward yeah yeah uh yeah good good call out we'll see what happens there all right well let's wrap it up there for this episode of decoding tv short episode of the curse short episode of the podcast of course keep your feedback coming into decoding tv at gmail.com and if you want to support the podcast decodingtv.com is where you can become a paid member get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes he is patrick klepik check out his work at remap radio as well as crossplay.news i am david chen we'll see you next week goodbye <laughs>